Let's see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. All right, guys, and we're live here for another episode of Rangers Review. I know it's only been a couple days since the last one, but again, if you guys did not check out um, the other day's episode, please make sure you do. It just came out a couple of days ago. We talked about not the Rangers games like we normally do for our weekly recap, but this time we changed things up a bit and wanted to really break down what has the news been with the Rangers the past week, not just from the trade deadline and what the Rangers didn't do, but what they did do with Zach Jones signing him and everything in between. So make sure to check that out, guys, if you haven't already, because that one still holds true to this point in time. But now we're talking about our weekly recap, and that's exactly what we'll be doing. We'll even be doing a brief recap on the week before that because we didn't have an episode out. But before we get into anything else, Stephen, how are you doing today, my friend? Um, good, good. Yeah, another Monday. One of my one of my last Mondays in Austria before I relocate. Um, started to slowly put things into boxes. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's it's been fun watching the Rangers the last couple of weeks. Um not because they're winning, but because the kids are doing well. Yes, the kids are doing well. And I think that's an almost an understatement at this point, which yeah. is so great to say. I, I have to be quite frank. Um, and when we look at the Rangers, let's just quickly recap here. Um, before we get into the past week for them, let's get into the two weeks ago. Because there were three games I do not believe we touched on. And that was the week of April 4th. And that just started with the Rangers blowout win against the Pittsburgh Penguins, 8-4. to four. Um, what was your initial stance on that game from what you recall and what players stood out to you? Because that one was very eventful, even though it was short-lived when you look up to their second game that week against the Pens. Uh, what was your initial stance on that? Um, look, anytime the Rangers score eight-plus goals in a game, it's memorable. And the Rangers have done it three times this season. I think the last time they had three games with at least eight goals was 91-92. Yeah, it's was- been a while. That was um, – you're probably too young to remember this. Were you born in 91, 92? No, 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 no. <laughs> New millennium right here. The uh, the Rangers were one of the Stanley Cup favorites. Um, I think they won the President's Trophy that year. And then uh, they, they lost the in the playoffs to, to the Penguins. How ironic. Uh, and it's, it's – what I remember most – I was still young. I was like seven, eight years old. What I remember from that series is is the most memorable part of that series. Adam Graves slashing Mario Lemieux and I think breaking his wrist. Um, yeah, that was overall a really, really successful season. And then two years later, they won the cup. So here's hoping for 2020. <laughs> um, but yeah, scoring eight goals in a game is never a bad thing. Yeah, they gave up four, but this tends to happen. You don't see a lot of games where the score is eight to nothing. It's always eight, three, eight, four, eight, five, because... They when you score eight goals, you tend to lose focus a little bit on defense, which is fine. Um, beating the Penguins, always a good thing in my book. I, I despise them more than any other team. I don't really have a problem with the Flyers, the Islanders, or the Devils. But the Penguins, oh, man, if we can beat the Penguins, um, my my day, I, I'm, I mean, that, that makes my day. Um, that's, that's interesting that the Penguins I, – I know why the Penguins are your, like, least favorite, if you will. But it, it is still interesting coming from a Rangers fan that um, doesn't have the Flyers or the Islanders, the Devils, the easier picks that many would believe See, over them. But the you're thing, also not from I the agree. area. 
So maybe that's a part of it too. Exactly. I didn't grow up in New York, so I don't have the geographical rivalry, you know, going through my veins. I didn't like the Penguins because I started watching hockey in the early 90s when they won back-to-back cups. And then I lived through that whole Yager and Lemieux thing, and then Lemieux retired, and then he went into the Hall of Fame, and then he came back. It's like none of the rules applied to the Penguins for some reason in the late 90s and early 2000s. And then, of course, they end up winning the draft lottery for Sidney Crosby, and then they win another cup in 2009, and they went back-to-back in 2016 and 17. So, yeah, I have a little bit of a problem with the Penguins, more so than the Devils, Islanders, or Flyers. So when we beat the Penguins, it's a good day for me. Yeah, and, and that's per- you have great reasoning there. I, I don't blame you at all. I'm not To say I'm a Pens fan is the farthest thing from the truth, let's be honest here. Um, but a, real, a guy that really stood out to me in that game for the Rangers was obviously Panarin. He had four points. Heedle had a really good game. He had uh, two points as well, if I recall. Igor was big in that game too. Even though the Rangers won 8-4, he still had over 40 saves. So a lot of guys mm-hmm. were getting multiple points in that game, and overall it was a strong win for them. Then when you get on to the loss that for the Rangers, that was a tough one. We don't really have to talk about much. They lose two to five that game in their um, second game against Pittsburgh that week. And, you know, it is what it is. They had a rough one that time. They just couldn't really get much going, and the Pens took advantage of the opportunities given to them. Um, and then the day right after that on a back-to-back in Long Island against the Islanders, the Rangers went four to one. And that was a big win for the Rangers. And that's kind of when everything really, in my mind, started to start uh, trend more upward after having some fairly inconsistencies the previous couple weeks. That mm-hmm. Islanders game really stood out to me. And the Rangers for them, that game, Georgiev stood on his head, as he normally does against the Isles. He saved 31 of 32 in that game in the victory. And if you look at the um, point producers in that game, too, Artemi Panarin once again leading the way with two points, kind of effortless. And Rangers got just got – they really just took advantage against the Islanders that game. And, and – it was a it was a tighter game, it seemed like, at first, but the Rangers just, like, they were on top the entire time. And to catch the Islanders a little off guard like that, it's not easy to beat the Islanders, let alone in a game with more than two goals for a lead. You know, they're so defensively sound and structured. Even when they're kind of, you know, faltering a little bit, they normally step up against the Rangers. And then- Barry, Trotz, Barry Trotz implemented that into, into their system. Yeah, they- and it's worked flawlessly. Yeah. It, it, it was it was somewhat there with, um, I believe, uh, his name, Jack Capuano. I'm probably saying his name wrong. Their former head coach. Yeah, it looks Ron. like Fred Flintstone. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, they were defensively minded for a bit, honestly. I'm um, going back to, you know, the – Yarrow Halak, Tomas Grice days. They always did really well against the Rangers. Now we see a similar trend with Semyon Varlamov and now Ilya, um, Igor, not Igor, Ilya um, Samsonov, who is a good Sorokin. friend of Igor's, as we know. Sorokin. Oh, oh I was literally going to say Sorokin. I don't know why I'm thinking these Samsonov is with the these Russians. Why, why do they have to be so similar to me? In there the are so Romeo. many Russian goalies in not just the NHL, but especially in, in, in our division now. I know, and I love it. I love it. It is so enter- – I absolutely love it. Russian goaltenders are a different breed, and I love it. As yeah. long as they don't have uh, the peak and then the downfall fairly as quick as Sergei Bobrovsky, I'm all for it. Or Briz um, so, Yeah, Briz. Briz is fun, though. I can't even talk crap yeah. on Briz if I want. He, he, he had a shorter career than you usually expect from a goalie. 
Yeah, yeah. He tried to stay in, but it just didn't work. Like, why you have to be mad, you know? But let's get in now to the past week of games for the Rangers because it started off on a bad note, but it wasn't a bad game for the Rangers all that much. It was just unfortunate. The Rangers lose in overtime to the Islanders, 3-2. to two. What was your quick stance on that game to really get things rolling for the Rangers and what would then be a four straight games against the rivals and the New Jersey Devils? Um, look, the Islanders are still a better team than the Rangers at this point in time. You know, they yeah. might be different next next season, but this season the Islanders are 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 just a better team. They <laughs> they added two big pieces at the deadline in Travis Zajac and Kyle Palmieri. Um, defensively, they're sound. They have two good goalies. We already talked about them. So losing in overtime to the Islanders, I don't really feel that bad about it. Uh, yeah, they could have won, but. Um, Overtime is just, I don't know, overtime has gotten so boring, man. Over over the last two years, when they, when they first switched it to three-on-three, three, it was exciting. And then they figured out that it's all about possession. So now they, they, they don't take any risks. Yeah. I remember one of the last games Jimmy Vesey played for the Rangers. He dumped the puck in overtime. He got to the red line, dumped the puck, and went 4-4 for a line change. And I was like, are you serious? It's, it's, it's all about keep away. It's all about it's keep away. Kevin stupid. Hayes will tell you back. <laughs> it gave me an idea. Maybe they should implement the rule they have in basketball. In basketball, you're not allowed to go backwards across the halfway line. Mm-hmm. We have ball, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't go – once you're past half court, you can't go – Half court, sorry, that's what they call it, half court. Once you're past half court, you cannot go, you cannot go back. Yeah. Yes. That's That needs to be something in the NHL in three-on-three overtime. Once you cross the red line, you're not allowed to circle back. Or what about a shot clock? Just for fun, now that we're thinking outside the box. Once you enter the offensive zone, you have 20 to 30 seconds where you have to cycle the puck and get a shot off. Uh, shot clock could work. Who knows? But they because need to it's going to be very stressful the entire time. It's going to keep they, everyone they, on their they toes. They need to do something because this is clearly not working. But yeah. back to your point, they lost in overtime to the Islanders. Not the worst thing in the world. You know, they got a point out of it against a team that's ranked higher than them. And that point might might be the deciding factor at the end of the season because, well, we now won four games in a row against the Devils, which we'll go into in a minute. But everyone's looking at the Bruins. And I've been saying for weeks now that we're not going to make the playoffs. But specifically, I said we're not going to pass the Bruins in the standings. But we might pass the Islanders with the way they've been playing. Yeah, no, the the Islanders, they've been on a little bit of a downward spiral. And it's kind of funny because they did the exact same thing last season. I don't know if people seem to realize that, but the Islanders were really strong the first half. Then the second half, right until the the season reached the pause because of COVID and everything, Mm -hmm they were continuing to lose and lose. And I really felt that they would not have made playoffs if everything was trained. The Rangers were continuing to trend upward. The Rangers, like right now, were a couple games out of the last spot, like for the wild card at the time. And I was like, okay, Islanders continue to fall. I I honestly think the Islanders would fall there. And obviously everything changed with the format and all that, but the Islanders are showing a lot of very um, strong similarities to last season and how they've approached the second half of the year, even with it being a short season. And while the Rangers did lose that game and it wasn't a great game, I will still take that for the Rangers because in the end of the day, they had Libor Hayek and Brendan Smith be their goal scorers, just like we all um, drew up for that game. So the offense just wasn't there, but it was it was a kind of a fluky game. But 
one that I don't think the Rangers played all that bad. They just Islanders kind of did what Islanders do best. They were gain they're making the Rangers force a lot of shots from the outside, I remember. And you know, it's just one of those things. At least the Rangers got a point out of it in the end. We did get Kraftsoff's first point out of that game too, by the way. What's that? We did get Kraftsoff's first NHL point out of that game. I yes, think. we did. Yeah. Assist on, I believe, was it Smith's goal? I think Smith, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that was awesome. But either way, the Rangers lose that game in game 41 of the season. But then they get to game 42 against the Devils. And, oh, boy, the Devils had no clue what was coming to them. And even with them getting some goal scoring here after the first couple games, it just – you can tell this is a team clearly in a rebuild. Now the youngest team in the league after uh, trading away both uh, Zajac and Palmieri to the Islanders. So the Rangers are not the youngest team in the league. They're close, but the Devils take over that throne for now. And Rangers win the first game just wait, of four. Just wait, just wait until we replace Brandon Smith with Nils Lundqvist next season. I know. I know. Just think no, about we, that. We might be the youngest again. We may very well be the youngest again. You're not, you're not wrong. But the Rangers win this game and only get 20 shots off, but they win 3 nothing. And what a fantastic game for the Rangers here. Just did everything structured well. A fantastic shutout. The one of two shutouts for Igor Shosturkin, who, again, like we talked about in our previous um, uh, Rangers review just the other day, Igor had back-to-back shutouts for the first time as a New York Rangers goaltender since night, uh, over, what, 94 years. It's been insane how long that span was. Yes. Yes, insane. So Zibanejad, Panarin, and Buchnevich are your goal scorers in that game. All doing what we would expect. Mika continuing to produce, maybe at, not at a six point per game base, but still getting a goal or a goal and assist here is always great. Panarin could have, could have, that should have been another Crofts of assist. It should have. You're right. I know, but then it was called back as we previously discussed because, of course, Lindy Ruff decided to challenge and it was offside. So no, 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 that was goal. I was talking about his assist on the Zibanejad goal. Oh, oh, pardon me, pardon me. I'm thinking yeah, the offside. Yeah. Um, but that yes, was yes. I mean, it's been a it's been a crazy week for Kraftsov. He should have ended up with four points this week, and he ended up with two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's okay though, because if you do recall, and I believe I said this in the previous Rangers review just the other day, Kraftsov would get his first NHL goal this weekend, and that's exactly what he did. So we'll be talking about that in a minute. But yeah. then we get on now to the second game for the Rangers, and they shut them out again for nothing. Offense just continues to topple over. The Devils, they had a decent – they literally had actually no. They had no shots. They, I believe they had under 20 shots that game. It was not strong. The Rangers dominated once again. 33 shots to 16 now to be exact. And your goal scorers for that game really stood out. You have guys like um, we're going to see right here. Uh, Jacob Truba, Artemi Panarin, three points, two goals, one assist. Surprise, surprise. Ryan Strome with two apples as well. Uh, Colin Blackwell with three points on the night, really contributing on that second line. And at that point, he's he's been right around or close to 10 points in his last 10 games. Close to, it might have changed because of the weekend. But he's been solid. I have to give credit where credit's due. You're not mentioning the most important one that game, Ryan Lindgren getting his first goal. Yes, yes. No, I was, I was about to get to it. Yes, Lindgren got his first goal on the season. Not yeah. a guy that you're going to get much goal scoring from, but very happy, especially after the couple games ago, you get Brendan Smith and Libor Hayek. Defensemen are starting to contribute. Truba, uh, Truba got a goal in that game as well, so... Happy all around for the Rangers. They get shutouts back-to-back there. And then we get on to what was a little bit of a dramatic game, uh, what would end up being the next two dramatic games for the Rangers at first. They went 6-3 against the Devils uh, this past Saturday, but the Rangers had a a 3-0 lead, then became 3-1, and then the Devils scored two more goals in the third, but the Rangers were luckily able to add on even more, get those insurance goals. They went 6-3, and what stood out the most to you about that game over this weekend in particular? 
Um, the, the Saturday game, um, the fact that we scored two empty net goals in one game is something we don't really see that often as Ranger fans. Um, I think we scored two power play goals on the power play that include a five on three. Yeah. No, I'll actually double check how many power play goals we got that game. Because young, um, we got we a power play. three on the power play. Yes, and then there was another power play. So we had a five on three. We scored on the five on three, mm-hmm. and then we scored on the subsequent five on four power play. So it doesn't it doesn't happen that much either for Rangers for Ranger fans to see their team score on a five on three, and then again on the on the <laughs> subsequent power play. But what stood out most is obviously Pavel Buchnevich becoming the first Ranger ever to get a birthday hat trick in the NHL. I mean, when he scored his first goal, I was already typing, you know, I was already tweeting like Rangers are the first team since, uh, I don't even remember, or like, to have two players score on their birthday. Uh, the yeah. First season since like 2008, they have two players score on their birthday in the same season. Uh, and then he scored a second one, and then it was Blackwell and Bushnevich both having two on their birthday. And then eventually the, the hat-trick was just amazing. You know, the, the game, if you were at that game, you were you were lucky to have witnessed that because that's something that's something on par with Zibanejad's five-goal game. Absolutely. Zibanejad's um, um, two six-point games. If you attended any of those games this season, you witnessed history because – like I said, Butchnevich is the first Ranger ever to score a hat-trick on his birthday. And that's so cool. I, I love the fact that it's for Butch because I have such a soft spot for him. And this is his first hat-trick in the NHL, and that first career hat-trick. And it's that's a great game. point, too. Yeah, that was just a fantastic game all around. Panarin doing what he does best, um, spreading the apples. He had three assists, four points on the night. Uh, Ryan Strom, a goal and two assists. He continues to produce. He's been fantastic. Kreider got a goal, which was great to see considering he's been Quite dead, and this was something that I've talked about with you plenty. How I love Kreider, but my only concern with his him is when he's hot. Don't get me wrong; he is hot. He's rolling, but then when he's off that hot streak, he's ice cold. It's not mm-hmm. like you have that scoring every every other game or every two games even. Like he will go ice cold for a straight week two plus, and that's been evident again this season. I don't know why; it's just something that he's just been a streaky goal scorer in his career. Unfortunately, um, whether it's because of an injury or something else, but it was great to see him at least get a goal there and try to get back in the groove of things. Yeah. Uh, you get Lindgren with two assists one as point, well. One thing, though, because we always talk about this with Chris Kreider, that he's streaky, but you have to understand that aside from the absolute top players in the league, every player is streaky. Oh, oh, well, yeah, I'm not saying he's the only one. I'm just saying for what his utilization with the Rangers has been and hoping that maybe he would get over that hurdle because there was a belief at first that, okay, he's a 20-goal guy. We know that. Oh, he's really pushing 30 now. Just how high is his ceiling? We've now come to the realization that, like, what we're seeing is is easily what we're going to be getting. If not, is, maybe a little. Great value for a 19th overall pick in 2009. Yeah, you know? I, I agree. Um, we shouldn't be disappointed with what Kreider has topped out as. Is he's still good value for where he was picked? Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's not he's not a continuous all star or anything like that, but he's 
unbelievably valuable to this club, especially when you think of playoffs. And hopefully he will still be with this club um, when the Rangers, maybe even as soon as the season, have a playoff run in them. You know, it's guys like him that you need with that veteran leadership, that experience, because, look, he just jumped out of the gate coming from B.C. into the playoffs made quite the impact for the Rangers. Oh, that was that was such a great experience. Too. I know. I remember it like it was yesterday. You watch a kid jump in, and and I remember, I think it was against the Capitals, where he scored that breakaway slap shot. Yes, on Holpe. And that was like Holpe first coming in the league, too. So it was it was yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, Crider's a great. The picture of him and Del Zotto on their knees celebrating the goal afterwards. Yeah. I think I had that picture framed on my wall for years because it was such a such a memorable moment for me as a Rangers fan because that was the first real playoff run after I moved back from South Africa, after I really got back into watching hockey again. Um, and seeing them, like that team in 2011-2012, I really had a connection with that team. Guys like Anisimov, Dubinsky, uh, Girardi, not, not so much Callahan. And for some reason, I was never really a Callahan fan. But hmm. uh, interesting. The Kreider then came in and he just put up that performance. I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" To see a kid like just come in like that, yeah, that was so much. So he, w- if my memory is not mistaken, Kreider was called up into that series because Haglin was dealing with a suspension against Ottawa. Was that is that correct? Because I feel like that's why Kreider was called up. No, I think Dubinsky had an ex- had a suspension because he was the third man in in the fight. I remember Haglund got a suspension. Maybe it was the next year's series. It was I, something. What I, I remember in 2012 is Dubinsky being ejected from the game. I remember that. I remember him. Crossing re- the, the Gatorade can. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So okay. maybe it was Dubinsky, but we'll just have to look that up. But that was that was such a surprise signing at the time. And, and people were like, oh. Here comes a kid from college. He's going to be on the fourth line, and boom, high flyer. Just that's me. The speed provider then raised the expectations to the point where people were expecting him to score 30, 40 goals every year. Yeah, and we never really got that out of him. But still, you know, he got that empty net goal uh, on Saturday, and then yesterday he gets the first goal on the power play. Yes, and be exactly what he should be doing. Just plotted right in front of the net. Easy, open net, no problem, getting that cross-crease pass through. But the Rangers, again, win this one, and Buchnevich with the three goals, Manjad with three apples, great all-around. Rangers were looking a little lackluster in that third period, and kind of the same thing throughout um, the second half of the game yesterday where the Rangers, um, well, at the time recording this, it might be two days by the time you guys see this, but they went 5-3 in the, really, the series sweep, if you want to call it. It's like a four-series set in baseball, right? Rangers sweep this one against the Devils 5-3. to three. They continue to tack on the goals. And Breadman stood out to me again, two apples. But Ryan Stroman, he had two points on the day, another goal, another assist. He continues to produce. He's been I, – I, it's so nice talking pleasantly about Ryan Strom. I feel like I've been saying that for a couple of weeks now. But he, man, has, he has earned it this season. He has absolutely earned it. And this was such a make-or-break year for him in my mind where – you know, same thing with D'Angelo, and we know what happened there, unfortunately. It's like, okay, these guys are basically on bridge deals. I know it's not bridge because they're UFAs at the end of it, but the same structure, two years. They're getting just around four mil or so, and it's going to be big. It's going to really dictate what we do with them and if they'll be part of our future. One of them, unfortunately, for more reasons than um, more reasons that one won't be with us, but Strom, at least, 
man, he's just stepped up on pace for over 70 points, as we discussed in the previous episode for a normal yeah. game season. And it's, it's, it's really going to make the Rangers and a good problem to have on how they want to weigh their future with Ryan Strom, possibly for long term being their 2C. If the Rangers win a Stanley Cup in the next five years, Jeff Gordon deserves a statue outside of Madison Square Garden for you. <laughs> it's unbelievable how he turned six weeks of Rick Nash into Keandre Miller, Ryan Lindgren, and Ryan Strom. Then, for some reason, convinced Panarin to sign with us, even though the Islanders offered him more money. That's my favorite part. That's my favorite part still. The Rangers uh, fell into uh, a good spot there with um, Panarin because Panarin um, from everything that I learned he always wanted to be in a big market he enjoyed his time in Chicago but like he really wanted to be there like be in the Big Apple so the Rangers lucked out with destination and cap on their side but the Ryan Strom trade is linked to Panarin signing as a free agent in a way and how how would you explain that they offered him 11 million and he initially didn't sign and then they still had retained salary on the books for Ryan Spooner, because they, they traded Ryan Spooner for Ryan Strom, who was then sub- subsequently traded to the Vancouver Canucks. And then the Vancouver Canucks decided to buy him out. Yep. And they freed up $600,000 in cap space. Oh, and that's then they I remember that. In $6 million and he signed. So it was all meant to be, is what it it's feels all, like. It's all meant to be. It all fits together like a puzzle. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's it's amazing to see this team come together. And last night, Kravtsov gets his first goal. Or for me, last night. It was 3 p.m. in New York, but for me, it was 9 p.m. So when I say last night, just you understand why. Kravtsov got his first goal, which is great. A um, little bit of a scare with Georgiev early on. With the um, yes, that was that was a little bizarre. And yeah. before we get to Georgiev, I just wanted to expand a little bit on Vitaly's goal. Goal because one that was beautiful, beautiful one T in the right dot, slipped it right. It wasn't perfectly in the corner, but he slipped it kind of right through the armpit. It looked like a Blackwood as he was cu- coming over from right to left. Set up great pass by Howden, might I add. You know, Howden isn't all that. Now, <laughs> yeah, we got to we got to extend Howden long term now, right? He can't go anywhere. Um, but yeah. no, great goal by Vitali. You could tell in his presser post game how excited he was. It's awesome to hear how well he is with his English too. I'm impressed by that. I know that he's been doing that for a little bit now since the Rangers first drafted him. But I thought that was great too, though, just knowing that he doesn't need a full on like interpreter for everything that he's answering. It makes yeah, life easier and, for him. And the the thing with Kravtsov uh, compared to Panarin is just the way Kravtsov grew up. Um, you know his. His, yep. I think his mom's a diplomat. His sister is a, is a lawyer. She lives up in Calgary. His dad was in the Soviet army. So he was surrounded by high-ranking officials as a kid. So he heard people speak English around him all the time when he was little. So yeah. that really helps him adjust to speak in English more so than guys like Shashjorkin and Panarin, who didn't really grow up in that, that type of environment. Um, so that's that's a big difference. But it, it was also Kravtsov's own effort that he put into it. When he was after he was drafted by the Rangers, he played uh, his first uh, post-draft season with Trotter Chelyabinsk in Russia, and he was playing with uh, Nick Berlin, uh, who's I think Canadian. And um, I, I spoke to them a few times, and and he actually asked Nick to help him translate certain things to help him improve his English. So he put the effort in himself, but also the way he grew up, the way he was raised, certainly played a part in that as well. 
But yeah, Kravtsov getting his first goal is big. Uh, finally, you know, he's on the board after his his, his previous goal was uh, called back. Rightfully so, because it was offside. But he finally got his first goal against Lindy Ruff. So justice there. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's just, he's just playing a really good, solid, mature game. It's not just... He's no longer the opportunistic kid that I saw a year and a half ago in preseason in New York. Yeah. When he played those preseason games in New York, he was he was dangling his way through through opponents and he wasn't really back checking much. He was just it was like he was playing an exhibition game, which preseason technically is, but you're still playing for something. You're playing because yeah, he's trying to show off his skills yeah. right away, you know. Yeah. You're playing like for fringe players. Preseason games are serious business because you're trying to force your way onto the team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and he just didn't really play with that urgency. He was just out there having fun, and that wasn't really enough to earn a spot on the team, which resulted in him being disappointed, which I get. But looking at him now and compared to a year and a half ago, it's like night and day. So seeing Carco come come into his own. Lafreniere being more and more comfortable. You can see Lafreniere when he's on the bench. He looks like he's looks like he's been in, in, in the in the NHL for five years. I know. He, he, he's very he's very observant. He's very yeah. vocal. Just his normal routines have transitioned smoothly yeah. from the uh the um the QMJHL or the Q I might be saying it wrong. You know what I'm talking about though. Yeah. Go back. Um into the NHL. The What's that? Call it the Q. The Q, okay. Um, but regardless, though, yeah, he's looked great. And I also want to expand a little bit on Lafayette because he had a goal yesterday. And that was a little bit interesting, too, because it was a oh. beautiful – it was like – it was a pass originally to set up um, – who passed it to Laugh again? It was it was a touch pass to Heedle, who then yeah. went side and he passed it to the middle to Lafayette. It was two passes in a row that were behind the forwards. Heedle touch pass was a little bit behind him when he got on the, along the right side. Then when it was cross-creased on a two-on-one – to laugh, it was behind him, and then he like turned around right away and got a five hole mm-hmm. on Blackwood, and then he was shoved in the net by Tennyson. Tennyson uh, finishes his check, but he roughed up both Lafreniere and Blackwood. Net went off and all that stuff. A little bit of a scrum, but no, it was a normal kind of play. Another great goal though. Lafreniere now, uh, now has eight goals on the season. Yes, but that scrum—that's what I like about last night's game. You know, yes, the goals are nice, and Kravtsov gets his first goal, and it's important, but. When Lafreniere was checked into Blackwell by Tennyson, the first person to skate over to Tennyson in front of was Kako. Yeah. And that's the – I don't want my future stars getting into fistfights. What I do want my future stars to do is to stand up for their teammates. And he and, did. Yeah. And he absolutely. did. And earlier in the game, there was a hit. Uh, Truba had a hit on – Shit, who did he hit in the first period? Oh, and then it caused it caused a fight. Yep. Which which gave us the first power play. Yes. He sure came after Truba. And Truba is always there to, you know, to 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 take care of himself, to stand up for himself. Mm-hmm. But Lafreniere was was down and out. He was he was just he needed a couple of seconds to to recover. And Kako skates over immediately and confronts tennis. That's that's what you want to see. You want that camaraderie from your future stars. Um, and then a couple of minutes later, or in the third period, there was – was it in the third period? Uh, no, uh, in the, I think also in the second period. Uh, Lindgren skating uh, into the corner. And yes. the rookie yeah. – what's his name? 
Um, oh, um, uh, uh, Sharon Govich. I don't know if it was Studenich or Sharon Govich, but okay. I think it was Studenich who pulled Lindgren down. Yeah, I remember that. First into the board, and it was Lafreniere who was the who was the first one there to stand up for Lindgren. You know, that's what you want your your future stars to do. Um, you know, and and I was really happy to see that. Um, but overall, you know, we won another game against the Devils. And for the funniest bit for me yesterday was Ryan Strom scoring without putting the puck in the net. I know. There's his famous Wayne Gretzky, Wayne Gretzky quote, right? Uh, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Yeah, unless you're Ryan Strom. Unless you're Ryan Strom. <laughs> Rick Nash had a similar uh, goal a couple of years ago for the Rangers where he was on a breakaway with an empty net. He was hooked on the play. I think it was against the Coyotes. And he was awarded the goal without yep. actually putting the puck in the net. Yeah. So I, I like those those weird moments that you don't see every day. No, I, I do too. And I want to expand quick on what happened earlier because we didn't get a chance to touch on it. But yeah, Yorgiev worried me big time at first. Looks like he was hurt. I believe it was maybe in the – I think it was in the first period. Um, and it was the first or the second. I think it was the first, though. And he was real – it looks like that he was definitely struggling with his left leg, and then he ends up getting taken off, needing help from um, um, uh, Ramsey. And Ramsey. everyone gained help off the ice. And then Igor comes in. He only faces two shots. But luckily, Georgiev, I believe, comes back in the second. And then I from his postgame presser, I think he had to do with his knee. I think he it honestly popped out of the socket or something along those lines, and he just popped it back in. And yeah. Good to go. From from what I heard, it's something that I've had myself when I was about twelve years old. His knee just locked up. You know, yeah. you, you you stretch your leg, and you cannot bend your leg anymore. And yeah. if if you're lucky, you can just pop it back into your socket. It's gonna be a it's gonna sting a little bit, but you'll be fine. And I think that's that's what was the case. They they just use the intermission to make sure he was okay. And then second period starts and he, and he's out there. I mean, imagine what it was, what it was, what it must be like for the devils. You I know. Prepare, you prepare to, to play Georgiev. Then Shostyorkin comes in, you adapt your game plan. Then you come out for the second period and Georgiev's back. And um, I will, I will give um, credit where credit's due. You know, the devils took advantage of some fairly sloppy plays by the Rangers defense going to the third and ended up getting tied three, three when their game was originally three, one. And, you know, nothing actually it was. Yes. Three nothing. Yes. It was three, nothing originally. Um, but luckily the Rangers still prevail in the end, a late goal on the birthday for Mr. Mika Zibanejad and then Ryan Strom to end things off. So that, that was great as well. Another guy gained their birthday goal. And if you look at the point producers as a whole, Zibanejad had two points on the game. Heedle had an assist. Blackwell had an assist as well. Kako Fox, Foxy continuing to rack up points. I want to talk about him here briefly. Um, Howden, Kreider, and then Strom, two points. Panarin, two points. And Lafreniere with his goal. So overall, a strong outing. Um, Georgiev, not the fan- most fantastic one, but he got the job done in the end. And the Rangers, what I love about them is even when they're giving up a couple goals, if they say slack off a little bit, when we saw in the past two games against the Devils, is that they still are able to add insurance at the end. It's like, okay, maybe we had a little bit bad start to the third or something. We're going to get back in the groove now and wake up. You know, we're not trying to put ourselves in a position. We need points. Every single game matters. It always does, but especially now with the home stretch, with just just over 10 or so games now left in the season. There isn't too many left. So Rangers now find themselves still two points out of a playoff spot to the Boston Bruins, but 
They just continue to win. And they have a big week upcoming that we will talk about shortly. But before we get to that, uh, Stephen, I want to throw some stats galore at you, shall we? Because there's a lot of numbers we need to throw out. You're the, one, you're the one doing the stats today. Yes, yes. I'm doing my best Go stat boy Stephen impression. So, okay. If we look at the Rangers, their point leaders as a surprise of nobody are Temi Panarin, 52 points in just over 30 games, might I add. Everyone, it kind of feels like we forgot about his absence for weeks because of the whole political situation. Then you get Ryan Strom second with the team, 44 points. It's been around a point per game, if not higher, all season. That's fantastic. Adam Fox who a guy last season in his rookie year was producing a lot, but wasn't getting too much time on the power play, and the points just weren't there, and that was ultimately his downfall in the Calder race in the end, coming fourth right out of Dominic Kublik. I believe he cracked third in that race. Um, but he's been fantastic this year, point per game, basically. Pavel Buchnevich. Buch has had a historic season, not just, not just because of his birthday, the hat trick, all that good stuff. He has consistently been producing all season long, almost every single game. And he's defensively responsible. Seriously, Buchnevich is a guy that is going to be due for his contract. But as of now, it's like, how do you justify getting rid of him? Maybe you have him part of a bigger package if you really want to do something groundbreaking. But other than that, Buchnevich has proved me wrong in a little bit of ways. I've had my ups and downs. I looked at Buch and he struggled with me in the past, being a little lackadaisical with going in the offensive zone, getting a shot off, maybe leaning his head back one too many times, just being a little slow. I feel like when he brings up the rush a lot of times, how he, how he skates, it worries me sometimes, honestly. He was very snake bin last season. This year, however, completely different story. He's the most complete player we have ever seen, and he's continued to do that night in and night out. And what do you so, want to say about Mr. Kujinevich? Kujinevich and Kreider are currently tied for goals with 19. Yes. Um, I just quickly looked it up because I was curious. That is the 13th highest in the league, 19 goals. Wow, that's that, that's solid. <laughs> I didn't realize they were actually that high. So the Rangers yeah. have been flying with their offense the past month or so, especially. And I'm going to five plus goals every game, but yeah. I know. And it, it's feeling effortless. It reminds me a couple of years ago, I think it was either AV's, it might, I actually think it might have been AV's first year with the club. Uh, the Rangers just first or second year, the Rangers just scored five goals after five goals to start the season for like the first like two weeks. It was insane. That's what we're starting to see more and more with the Rangers as of late, which I love. Of course, you you love the high goal scoring as long as the defense can be at least you know average. And the Rangers' defense has been solid all year long. Um, but Zabanjad then thirty nine points on the season after that terrible start due to the COVID and all these different factors being snake bin, just not hitting the net. He's been rolling, and then Kreider sixth on the team in points with twenty eight, and then everything starts to drop off with the youngsters as we kind of figure. Igor Shosturkin, the main goaltender for the Rangers this year. 13, 9, and 3 on the season, a 2.28 goals a lot average, and a 9.25 save percentage. Full season, he could very well be pushing for Vesna. We'll see what happens this year, but he's been on a tremendous pace really since he's come back from his injury. And over the last 10 games for the Rangers, they're 7, 1, and 2. They've been one of the hottest teams in the NHL. And if we go back all the way to March 13th, this was a stat originally thrown out from NBC Sports yesterday. Prior to the game starting, I added what the points and has changed now since March 13th. Over a month ago, the Rangers have five forwards. I mean, four players, pardon me, that are top four in the league in points. 
of all the league. We're, we're talking about past McKinnon and Ranson and these others because Colorado had their game postponed yesterday, so the Rangers were able to leapfrog in some of the points. Panarin has led the league in points for the past month plus, 34 points in the last 20 games. Zibanejad is tied for second with Nathan McKinnon with 30 points in 20 games. Then if you get to the fourth spot, because I'm including the ties, we'll jump right to fourth. Uh, Fox and Strom are both tied with 26 points apiece. Foxy just has the edge by one game, 19 games of 20. But the Rangers have been one of the hottest teams in the league the past month plus. Huge kudos to David Quinn again and Knobloch really starting to get things going. Panarin staying in his groove. Everything has been tremendous. Um, so what's your stance on that with the Rangers? I know that they've been high-flying with their offense, but they've literally been the top dogs in all the NHL along with the Colorado Avalanche, as they should. Yeah. Um, I still think that the two weeks, Chris Knobloch, Chris Drury, and – uh, Jacques Martin were behind the bench, really changed the dynamic of this team. And this is, this is not a knock on David Quinn. It's just an observation. The team plays differently since then. And yes, I know Panarin came back, but they didn't play like this before Panarin took his leave of absence. Mm-hmm. They didn't play this way. So something changed. And I'm happy it changed because maybe it will get us over the hump. Maybe it will put us on track to become that playoff team next season. But... If you look at our scoring, I mean, Matt Barzal is is leading the Islanders in points. He would rank sixth on the Rangers right now in points. We have five players outscoring the top point producer on the Islanders. It's it's unbelievable. And that should not really come as a surprise, I will say, because the Islanders are no offensive dynamo. As good as Barzal is, he doesn't – when you look at the guys around him and now when you have – their captain and Lee who's been out with injury, like, you know, there just isn't much there. Like how much is say a Paul, a Paul, um, you know, Kyle Palmieri, how are, how much is uh, Zajac guys that are not going to be crazy point producers for you? Like that isn't as good of an oomph as I think it could have been for them. Um, and Barzell, look, Barzell's a fantastic player. He's so entertained. I hate to go up against the guy cause he normally makes great things happen, but he also has not put up the points like he has since his no. rookie year with Tavares. And it makes you wonder, you know, will he be able to get over that hump himself or will he kind of need someone alongside him as he continues to grow too? It could be that the focus with the Islanders is just on defense now on the Barry Trots. It, it could be that that's the case. Yeah. But, you know, um, maybe Barzal is one of those players that has a great rookie season and never matches those numbers again. Um, yeah. Happens sometimes. You know, best example is, of course, Tim Mussolini. Who, yep. we talked who about never broke his own record for goals or points after his rookie season. Not that he was a bad player, but his rookie season is statistically his best season in his career. Um, but yeah, I would still take Matt Barzal over Ryan Strom. If you give me the option to, to pick either one of them at their current cap hit, I will pick Matt Barzal any day over Ryan Strom. However, if you look at Ryan Strom this season, 44 points in 45 games – he has more points than Andrzej Kopitar, Alex Ovechkin, um, uh, Sebastian Ajo, Patrice Bergeron, John Tavares, David Pasternak, Matt Barzal, Braden Point, TJ Oshie. Um, it's, it's unbelievable the season he's had. Um, and I hope we can finally put this whole but he plays with Panarin thing to rest because Strom is so much more than a product of Panarin. They work well together. They feed off each other. 
it's not it's not a one-way street. And this week, Strom has scored some goals that I cannot attribute to just because of Panarin. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one goal that he scored from a really tight angle. That was a really difficult yes. goal. Holy shit, that was a really good goal. Then he had the two assists on on Panarin, on breakaways. Mm-hmm. Those are pinpoint passes. Yes, Panarin is great at finishing them, but you still have to get the you still have to get the puck all over over the over the opponent's stick and onto Panarin's blade. It's not that easy, and you saw it on breakaways with uh, Lafreniere and Kako. There was a breakaway, I think, yesterday or Saturday two-on-one breakaway, and the puck doesn't get to Kako because Lafreniere hesitates for like a fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. Ryan Strong doesn't hesitate because he has that experience. He has, And he has the skill. He has the talent. He was he was a fifth or sixth overall pick. Let's not forget that. Yep. Just, this is not some fourth-round pick that is just playing well because he plays with a star. Like people always right. say about Chris Kunitz and Pascal Dupuis and – I was and, thinking Kunitz during this entire time. It's funny you mentioned him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like there, there are players out there that fully take advantage of the opportunities given to them, but they know that as soon as that opportunity is taken away, that you're not going to get you. You might get half of what you originally were getting because they yeah. just they reap the benefits of the guys around them, but they also don't. They're not slowing them down. They're just adding on, you know. And that is in my mind what Strom is doing here. Um, and then some. And what separates him from like a Kunitz, and this is not a shot at Chris Kunitz or anything like that. I'm saying though that Strom has found that next level to his game. And luckily for him, he has also found that level while getting plenty of help, advice, and just playmaking and production with one of the best players in the league along his left wing. That's all it is. And if you look at Panarin, if you look at Panarin's totals with the Blackhawks, then with the Blue Jackets, and now with the Rangers playing with Ryan Strom and Jesper Foss his first season, and now mostly Ryan Strom and what, what are you pointing at? No, I'm saying it just continues to trend upward. He keeps yeah, going yeah. upward. Yeah. So now, now he's playing with Strom and, and Kako or Blackwell or Kravtsov. It, it, it differs a little bit. But Artemi Panera last season on an 82-game pace, he was on pace for 113 points. That's decent. This season, he's on pace for 125. Remarkable. If this, if this was an 82-game season, he is most likely breaking Jager's franchise record for points in a season. That's how good Panarin is playing with Stroh. Exactly. And, and it's one of those things where it's like, you can't say, oh, things would be different if one is with the out the other. Because it's like, we can't control the fact that they're probably going to just stay together. You know, if Strom gets and extended long term, they may no, very well be line mates for the next five years. And there is no guarantee that Panarin puts up this type of production playing with another center. There is no guarantee that that My will happen. Point. So with Panarin under contract for another five years, another four years next summer, <laughs> I have no problem signing Ryan Strom to a four-year extension and have their contract sync up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, then maybe. Maybe Strom is not the center that we're going to replace. Maybe Zbaniewicz is the one. You know, and and that's going to be a very interesting topic that we will get we will dive into as the season reaches a close. Um, if the Rangers make playoffs or not, all that fun stuff. But no, you're right. There, a lot a lot of things are going to be changing. Uh, again, the Rangers are right in the heart of the rebuild. People need to realize that. Um, as entertaining as this team is right now, to suggest that this is going to be the same core group fully. Mm-hmm. 
in the next two years. I, I don't, I can't fully stand by that just yet. I need to see commitment from the Rangers side things before I can jump to that conclusion. Yeah. And we have some cap space to play with for the next year or two. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, Jeff Gordon will, will use that cap space. Um, I just don't see a scenario where they get rid of Pavel Buchnevich. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's done everything possible to make sure you don't get rid of him. It's you really hard to justify getting rid of him. Yes. I know Kako is going to be really good. And I know Kraftsel is going to be really good. They're not going to be really good or good enough next season to make up for the production you lose when you trade away Buchnevich. Yeah. And if this was 2018, trade Buchnevich away because you're mm-hmm. still three, four years away from contending. But we are on the cusp of being a playoff team again. I honestly believe that next season we're going to be a playoff team. The Flyers are getting older. The Islanders are getting older. And we've been saying this for the last two years. These teams get older every time. But the Rangers are getting better. The Rangers are improving. Their young kids are are contributing now. And at the start of the season, I was a cynic because I didn't really see Kako having the season he's having now. Yeah, production-wise, it's still not great, but he's having an impact. I didn't expect Adam Fox to play like a Norris-caliber defenseman. I didn't expect Keandre Miller to come out of the gate and play second pair minutes with ease. Biggest surprise of the season, I I would argue. I didn't expect Kravtsov to come over at the end of the season and be as comfortable as he is on the ice. Neither did I. Everything just comes together now, and I don't know if I, I think I had this conversation with you in, uh, in, in one of our previous recordings, but if you go back 12 months, you understand why they signed Kreider to an extension and why they traded for Julian Gauthier. Because they needed to have wingers that they could count on. But then in, in, the, in the 12 months since, you draft Lafreniere first overall. Kako takes a huge step in his development. Kravtsov comes back and actually plays NHL caliber hockey. And all of a sudden, Gautier is a healthy scratch, and Kreider looks like the worst extension in the last 10 years for the Rangers. Yep. But with, with, with the power of hindsight, anyone could be a Hall of Fame general manager, I guess. If you look at the situation a year ago, the moves make sense. Even though I wasn't a fan of the Kreider extension at the time, it made sense from an organizational point of view, I guess. Uh, but next season, this team is going to compete. I don't see a scenario where Butchnevich is not part of this team. No, I, I don't either. The only the only one exception I would say to Butchnevich not being with the club, uh, say heading into next season, like during the offseason something happens, is if it really is like a groundbreaking deal. If the Rangers do in fact go all in on Jack Eichel and Butchnevich is one of the more prominent assets going the other way. Now, would that make a lot of sense from the Sabres at, at, uh, side of things? No, it really wouldn't. Um, especially because how much of a hole you're making with Eichel as it is, as Zibanejad would make the most sense. Could they be together? Sure. But uh, outside of something that massive, I don't see how the Rangers get rid of him. They don't need a trade for a top four defenseman. That's out of the picture. You know, what we were thinking over the past offseason was honestly my, at certain times, was foolish on my part because I was thinking too short term when realizing one, I didn't think that Keandre Miller would step up the way he did this year. I did not think that was, I didn't even think he'd be with the club for a majority of the season. That was a plus. Now you see Zach Jones now with the club. He should be getting games sooner than later. Niels Lundqvist, we've talked, we beat this all to a dead horse, but the Rangers defensive core group is set and they still have guys coming over the next year or two. 
So they have more, they have more and more and they're quality defensemen. It's not like they're just fillers. They're not Libor Hayek's nothing against Libor, but these are guys that have the utmost potential. And obviously that potential needs to blossom into production. I fully understand that, but with the trend that we have seen already with guys like Lindgren that had very low expectations initially, Adam Fox with knowing that he was really good, but not really realizing that he was Norse caliber good kind of right from the gate. And Jacob Truba refining his game. He's had a much better season, especially the second half, than he did well, his last year. I, I've, I've been fairly impressed with Truba. He's definitely um, correct in my wrongs and a lot of the statements I made about him in the past. And that's good. That's all I asked for. He's overpaid, but that you know those things happen. Um, mm-hmm. When you look at DeAndre Miller, he's had a little hiccups lately. I know that you touched on that on social media too, but especially for a rookie, that's natural. And I'm really not concerned about him. But then you're going to have uh, Niels Lundqvist, Zach Jones. These are guys that very well out of the gate can be performing just up to similar levels as the guys at the top four in front of them. So unless uh, the Rangers do a blockbuster with Bucinavich being part of it, I don't see any shape or form I guess sort of, and he's an RFA. It's not like this is a UFA situation. You still have control over him, you know, and that's, that's key to these negotiations too, whether they extend him to say a two year deal, like a Ryan Strom thing, or if they extend him to a three, four year deal, like yeah. who knows? Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, he's not a like you said. He's not an unrestricted free agent this summer, so you don't have to pull the trigger now. You can you can assign him what, what they did with Kevin Hayes. It's not ideal, but they can do what they did with Kevin Hayes. You sign him to a one year extension, and then you just kick the can down the road. You you worry about it next year. Yep. And then you can trade him at the deadline next year. Um, but this Rangers team is is going places, and it's been a it's been a fun rebuild so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing these kids make the team, being consistent contributors on this team. Um, and yeah, this is this is what's important. And you you've seen my tweet about the rolling entry level contracts. Yep. It's important to have those entry level contracts coming onto the team and contributing because that's how you keep your 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 salary cap low. Exactly. And. Next season, we'll have Jones and, and Lundqvist. And then the season after that, hopefully we'll have Robertson and Schneider. Mm-hmm. And the season after that, we might see Carl Hendrickson make the team if he progresses the right way, or maybe Adam Edstrom or Morgan Barron. You know, and, and maybe not necessarily entry-level contracts, but if their entry-level contracts run out before they make the NHL, their second contract will be relatively cheap. That's still a good deal to have on your team. But you need at least... You need at least three players contributing on contracts that are below 1.5 million a year. To keep things afloat, to keep things breathable, you know? Because otherwise you end up like like, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, I think, last season. Yep. they, they they, They went in three years from an expansion team to being up against the cap having to trade players away. Yeah. Crazy, uh, or the Islanders paying four million for Matt Martin. He's a good fourth line player. Is he worth four million a year? And what and what did that lead to in one way or another? Train away a really really good defenseman, Devontae's, just for two second round picks. Don't forget that one. He's very very underrated. Yes, yes. And what's important for the Rangers is that they make the right choices, they make the right decisions, and if they're going to make a trade, make sure it's the right trade. I suggested a trade with the LA Kings because they have a lot of center prospects and we have a lot of defensive prospects. Mm -hmm. It's a match made in heaven. You can go either 
uh, Matt Robertson for Rasmus Kupari, or maybe Braden Schneider for uh, Gabriel Villardi. Or if you really want to aim high, you can do something around Niels Lundqvist for uh, Turco. I'm, yeah. I'm not advocating for any of these trades in particular, but the LA Kings are a team that that you can negotiate with if you want to use a position of strength to address a weakness. And that's why there's actually been a lot of rumors out there. It's kind of funny, though. It's not to address a position of weakness. It's to address something that's already full strength, and that is Jack Eichel. Because um, when you look at the possibility of Eichel with the Rangers that we talked about, and I'm sure it'll be a reoccurring topic in the offseason, probably throughout the entire offseason until something happens, which it may very well we'll see given his injury and everything. Um, but the Rangers have plenty of assets to make a deal happen where they can make a lot of different kind of trades happen for Buffalo. Should it be at the right price? The LA Kings are the other team that really stand out with such an amazing prospect pool. But that could end up being the decider in the end which would be unfortunate. It won't be an end all. It'll be, okay, he's in the West now. But Eichel, if he went to the Canes, they've shown interest reportedly as of late from numerous um, tweets that I've seen. And the Canes do have that luxury where we have a lot of top young centerman prospects that we could send Buffalo's way. So they're going to be in this rebuild, but they're going to have guys that they can continue to grow with and work with money because Buffalo doesn't have much money that they usually work with. They're just they're a cheaper organization, unfortunately. And I feel bad for them. That goes down to their ownership and everything. Um, but that is the one thing that I will say on that matter, too, is if the Rangers get a deal done with, say, a Buffalo, they'll have to be fairly creative because I know the Kings will be knocking on the door. Yeah, and, and the Kings have the luxury of not having to send big money the other way. Mm-hmm. The Kings have, have some, uh, they have the, the Kovalchuk termination coming off the books. They have the Dion Phaneuf buyout coming off the books, plus the cap space they already have. The Kings are in a position where they, they can make it work by sending them just prospects or maybe sending them a player that has $2 million on the books. Yeah. I, where, I will, if, the Rangers, if the Rangers trade for him, I honestly don't see a scenario where Eichel is traded to the Rangers and the Rangers still have Truba, Kreider, and Zibanejad on the team. No, absolutely no way. I, I think – I yeah. honestly think – LA- Go on. Yeah, the LA Kings have much more flexibility cap-wise to make a trade happen. Uh, also, they are on the other side of the country. They're in the Western Conference. And we both know that general managers are still idiots – because they would rather trade for a lesser package if the player goes to the other conference than accept a bigger package from a player in their own conference or their own division. Look at what the Ottawa Senators did with uh, Mike Hoffman. Yep. They traded him to San Jose, and then San Jose turned around, and they traded him to the Florida Panthers for a better package. Yep. General managers are idiots. They don't, <laughs> go, they don't go for the best package. They think, oh, I don't want to play this guy for four times a year. Who cares? Go for the best package. Accept the package that helps you as a team. Don't worry about where the player is going. Because you don't even know if you have the certainty if the player will end up still staying with that team. San Jose. And then a year later, they trade uh, Eric Carlson to the San Jose Sharks. And they put this ridiculous uh, condition into one of the second round picks that if Eric Carlson plays in the Eastern Conference in the next year and a half, the second-round pick becomes a first-round pick. That's how terrified they were. 
it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Just go for the package that helps you the most. Stop caring about where a player is going. And I would trade Zibanejad to the Penguins if it got me the best offer. Absolutely. You're you're right. And that that's a great thing. Look, as much as it sucks to see maybe a guy that we've grown attachment to that we love uh, on the rival club, these things do happen. Maybe not fairly often because teams do worry about this. You're right. GMs do worry about this more often than not. But if it does happen, it should be at the right price. And I, I could see that being the case. And it's funny when you think about Zibanejad, Truba, and Kreider because you're 100%. I don't see how the Rangers – don't get me wrong. They're creative as hell. Jeff Gordon is very sneaky good with his decision-making. Could they try to do something with keeping both Zibanejad and Eichel on the same club? They could. I just find that hard to believe from the Sabres side of things. But at the same time, how much does Zibanejad benefit the Sabres when you're getting rid of your franchise player? Or what, what kind of structure are you in as a club at that point from the Sabres' perspective? Because you drop down Zibanejad, even if he produces great still, he's older than Eichel. He's due for a big payday. That doesn't add up with a team that if they're getting rid of Eichel, they're going into a rebuild again. Which is really unfortunate. Sucks for Sabres fans. No if ands, buts, or bad. You know, that's the truth. But that's what's kind of confusing to me here because the I would assume, and again, maybe I maybe I'm overlooking this. Maybe Buffalo isn't as competent as that. But if you're trying to get rid of if you're going to get rid of Eichel, and it's kind of like you're in the corner, you know he doesn't want to stay here. You just gotta get rid of him. You want the biggest haul possible. What kind of haul is that going to be? Are you going to let Dylan Cousins try to come in and be your number one, give him top six playing time throughout the entirety of next season and beyond? Is that what you're looking for? Those are the kind of factors that I would assume are going in the process of this. So no. Truba, you know, Truba Kreider, it's it's hard to add this up. It really does need to be prospects filled through the grain. If Zabanjad was like a very similar situation like Eichel, younger, um, big contract, but maybe you do a flop because both of them just don't want to stay with their respective clubs or like the line and Dubois deal. Like that made a lot of sense at the time, both very, really good players, stars mm-hmm. in their careers. are still trying to put things together. Didn't like where they were and couldn't agree on a contract. So they just flip them one for one. That would make more sense from the Rangers perspective, but it's not, that's not how things are looking right now. So yeah. I don't know. I, the Rangers would have to get creative. I think that maybe would be part of a three team trade even, and the Rangers maybe sway a club that has a more coveted prospect that could go Buffalo's way. And in return, maybe the Rangers give up a first-round pick. Or maybe they give up a um, a more desirable player of their own to make things happen. Like a Bucinovic at the right price. Like something along those lines. The other scenario is, of course, that they trade prospects to Buffalo for Eichel. And then they trade Zibanejad to the Vegas Golden Knights, for instance. I'm just naming a random team for a first-round pick and Peyton Krebs, or yeah. for a second-round pick and Cody Glass. A similar trade to what they did with Brassard for Zibanejad. You trade away your established center for a younger guy you hope steps up and steps into that role. A year and a half ago, I was I was advocating for making that trade, Zibanejad for Rupa Hintz, who plays for the Dallas Stars. I think it's has sailed now because Rupa Hintz is producing at a rate where he's more valuable than he was a year and a half ago. So we missed the boat on that one. But that's the type of trade they could be looking for if they're going for Eichel, replace Zibanejad with a younger player, and then trade Zibanejad for futures. 
Um, but honestly, if I was the general manager, and for, we should probably be happy I'm not, I wouldn't go after Jack Eichel because I think the price it takes to acquire him plus the cap hit just doesn't make him the most appealing center in the league to go after. Yeah, no, there's there's obvious concerns with Eichel, and don't get me wrong. I will take him any and every day of the week, but mm-hmm. you have the injuries. You have the serious injury that he's coming off of this season. Yeah, I'm not even talking about injuries. I'm talking about the $10 million cap hit for okay. five years after this season, plus all the asset it, it's, it takes to acquire him. Yeah. No, you're right. Is, is the additional cap hit and giving up all those prospects worth the upgrade you're getting? How big is the upgrade going from Zabanajet to Eichel? How big is that upgrade? And that's maybe a gamble that, upgrade, that maybe that upgrade is is only big in years three and four. Is that worth it? I don't know. Maybe and and you know we're, I'm not going to talk about Barkov because he might not hit free agency. But Elias Lindholm of the Calgary Flames is a guy that I would target instead of Eichel. He's not as flashy as Eichel. But he won't be as expensive. You're right, but what are you trying to do with Lindholm then? Because you're tr- are you telling me you want to get rid of Zabanjad to bring in a Lindholm? Would that be something you consider? If you acquire a Lindholm, it's much easier to fit him under the cap. You might not have to get rid of Zabanjad. Correct, but then you have this guy called Ryan Strom. So you want Lindholm to possibly be your third C? I mean, you know, if you, so if if you don't, like, hey, come on, dude. I'm only like no, no, I'm, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just thinking out loud here. You know, okay. you have three really good centers. Um, I mean, what's the harm? You, know, you need depth. And I, I would much rather go for a guy like Lindholm than go for a guy like Jack Eichel, considering everything, everything it costs to get him. Because you're also looking at making room for him financially. Um, and that's something you're always going to have to work around every yes. single season throughout. And, and, and we have to understand that we have a lot of entry-level contracts coming up in the next couple of years. And they don't last forever. Shostjorkin is, is restricted free agent this summer. He's going to, he's going to ask for quite a lot of money. He has arbitration. He's arbitration eligible next year. Adam Fox, what's Adam Fox going to ask for? What's Adam Fox getting? That Fox is what want. I'm really interested on, considering I heard, I heard people talk about eight million a year for Adam Fox. Foxy, so, though, I will just add that is another situation that may very well benefit the Rangers again. Kind of how Tampa's mm-hmm. been doing things and proving everyone wrong and being able to keep these guys on either shorter term contracts or just a low AAV contracts because they love being there. Mm-hmm. Foxy, all he wanted to be was a Ranger, and now he's thriving with the Rangers and the heart of their rebuild as they're blossoming up. I. Granted, I don't know him personally. Could he pull something like he did up until the Rangers, where now that he's had a taste with them, he's like, okay, I want a big payday regardless of who is with to an extent? Sure. I Do I think that's going to happen? No, I don't. So I think the Rangers actually may benefit more again in this situation with Foxy because they are, in fact, the New York Rangers. Maybe, maybe. But it's it's mm-hmm. getting really hard to fit all these players under the cap when you already have Truba at $8 million and Kreider at six point five and Panarin at eleven point six. And whatever Bushnevich is getting, mm-hmm. and whatever's advantage, Booch is. Oh, I'm I'm thinking right now. Booch is making like three mil this season. Yeah, right around there. Yeah, so six million a year probably. Yep. On his next deal, 
Zibanejad is our restricted free agent next year, which means they'll start negotiations this summer. Mm-hmm. I mean that 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 cap hit, that that cap that cap space evaporates so quickly. It's- yes, we have, we have some buyouts coming off the cap, which is great, but it's going straight into these young contracts. These mm-hmm. these young players can get again and get a second contract. Um, I honestly don't see a scenario where Eichel comes to the Rangers and they're not trading away a big piece in a, a different trade. And unfortunately, Kreider and uh, Truba have no move clauses. So does Panarin. So who are you going to trade away? It's going to be Butchnevich uh, and or Zibanejad to accommodate Eichel being on the team. Granted, they do have no move clauses, but I don't believe it's impossible to deal them. But it goes; it all goes through them, though. That's the thing; they have all the control in the situation. Gabrick waived his to go to Columbus, and then yep. you want to come a year later with LA. So it's possible; it's not impossible. But it's also something you need to keep in mind that they have these clauses for a reason. They mm-hmm. negotiated these clauses for a reason. Jacob Truba negotiated this clause. He lives in New York. His girlfriend works in New York. Yeah, he he doesn't want to go anywhere. We He's know probably, he probably doesn't want to go. If anything, and we'll probably should wrap it up after I go through this little rant, but if anything, I think in two years, Chris Kreider is a perfect trade candidate going to a, a what I call a tax haven. If you look at the Vegas Golden Knights with Max Pacioretty, the Dallas Stars with uh, Joe Pavelski, um, the Tampa Bay Lightning, with uh, they're losing Alex Kalorn. So they have money coming off the books. They should be able to, to fit him under the cap. Financially, it's 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 beneficial for Kreider. Um, in two years, all these teams will still be contenders. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be shocked if Kreider waves his no-move clause for the right team. I wouldn't be either. Um, I think the biggest thing about that, however, is how adamant the Rangers would be. And trying yeah. to deal him. If the Rangers kind of, you know, maybe miss, not that I would want this. This is the absolute opposite thing that I would want. But if it was a scenario where they maybe mistreat him, because as we know with this rebuild and between Zuccarello, Hayes, you know, they definitely rubbed off some guys the wrong way, but they committed to Kreider. So mm-hmm. they would kind of have to do a fairly 180. They would have to try to do their best to give Kreider a damn good reason on why he should leave because they don't want him there. And that's, exactly. so that's a sucky thing to do, but that's part yeah. of this. It is, and it is a business, and that's that's what it always comes down to. Um, and I'm not saying that Kreider is going to just accept waving his no-move clause, but if I have to put money on either Kreider or Truba, my money's on Kreider. If I have to choose one of those two, I don't see Truba waving at all because of his personal situation. I'm not too familiar with Kreider's personal situation. I don't know what his girlfriend or wife is doing for <laughs> him, but he, he doesn't have kids. It might be just easier for him to move, you know? I cry, Kreider looks like the most susceptible in my mind. Truba, honestly, not. I hope it doesn't happen. I hope that he performs and can live up to that contract at some point. But he smells buyout ran all over it at some point. Whether that's in the ne- three years from now, I have no clue. I know that's a big hit. Don't get me wrong. But as something, something tells me that unless Truba really proves his worth and worth that contract, the Rangers will get to a point of almost desperation where they just try to do everything they can to get rid of it. Cause they have, they're going to be so loaded up at well, some point with guys that fill in for him. You're going to have Fox and Lundqvist 
And Schneider. Schneider. And Schneider is literally kind of – he looks like a Truba replacement in yeah. more ways than one. Yeah. So, but speaking, I, speaking of but, Schneider, um, he's having a really good season in the WHL. And yes, the captain for the weekends. The, the last thing I want to quickly touch on, we all know that he played a couple of games in the AHL earlier this season. Mm-hmm. As did a lot of other junior players that usually would not be eligible. Seth Jarvis, a first-round pick for the Carolina Hurricanes? Yeah, I think the Carolina Hurricanes picked him. Um, all these kids, like 18-, 19-year-old kids, are playing in the AHL this season because of the pandemic. And not only are they are they able to keep up, they are actually dictating games. They are dominating shifts in the AHL at age 18, 19, mm-hmm. which don't be thinking because uh, 18, 19-year-olds from junior hockey are not eligible to play in the AHL normally because of an agreement between the NHL and the CHL. Maybe it's time they should review that agreement and make an exception for first-round picks or something. Because if you pick a player 10th overall and he plays for the Portland Winter Hawks, Seth Jarvis, for instance, and he has nothing left to prove in a WHL, he still has to play in the WHL for two years unless he has a spot on your NHL team. Yep. And it's much more beneficial for the player's development, for the team that drafted him, to to let him play in the, in the AHL. I know they don't want to have a complete, uh, what's the word, um, exodus. Okay. Yeah, a complete exodus of players, but make an exception for first-round picks. Let first-round picks from junior hockey play in the AHL. That's it. And and Brandon Schneider's performance in the AHL got me thinking. And then, yeah. And look, defensemen normally take a little bit while uh, to develop, as we know. But even in a case where he's a little fast, it's not the end of the world if you kind of need to have him in the AHL. As long as he is understand and like is working fine with the organization, knowing that his time will come. He, it's just going to take a little bit because of how loaded up the Rangers are. That's not uncommon. It happens with teams all the time in the league. So as yeah. long as he can bite the bullet there and just stay professional and know that good things are going to come just at the right time, then that's fine. He could very well be guaranteed a spot, but it's like, hey, you're guaranteed a spot, but we just need this to happen or we need to wait for this year. Or, you know, something along those they, they, they create a rule that each NHL team can have two, maximum two players on their AHL farm team. From juniors, uh, that would be nice. Make, I mean, make it an exception. Make it an exception. In the Rangers' case this season, it probably would have been Robertson and Schneider, and Garand and Cooley would not have been eligible then. Yeah, but do something because these players are just playing in in playing junior hockey at age nineteen when they are. Uh, Matt Barzal was drafted sixteenth overall. He had nothing left to prove in Seattle. I watched him play every game. I, I'm a Thunderbirds fan. I watched him play every game. Mm-hmm. He was he was putting up three, four-point nights without even trying. There was nothing left for him to do there. So they need to do something. Um, well, I, I agree with you. Um, man, but here, before we get out of here, though, prospect, so. Steve, yeah. let, let's, let's do a quick prediction on next week's games, okay, before we head out of here. Okay. Okay, so the Rangers' schedule for next week, guys, is the following. Um, Colleen, it might even be today at the time you guys see this. Probably will be uh, this Tuesday against the Islanders on the island. And then Thursday, uh, the 
first of a back-to-back, both home games for the Rangers against the Flyers. I'm looking forward to those. And then Sunday against the Buffalo Sabres. My prediction right off the bat is 3-1. and one. Gut feeling. What are you going with, Steven? They play three games at home and one on the island. I think I'm going to go 3-1. and one. I think they're going to lose to the Sabres. I, something tells me they might lose at least one of the back-to-backs to the Flyers, strictly because it's back-to-back. Yeah, that's it's a fair point, even though we just won a back-to-back against the Devils, but whatever. Oh, no, 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 you're right. Don't get me wrong. I, I'm just saying. I no, ra- no, I'd no. Rather, rather pick something like that than a sweep, and then the sweep is hey, you likely to happen. We have another eight-goal game against the Flyers. I, I guess we'll have to wait till Thursday to find out. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so three and one for me, three and one for you, Stephen. I, mm-hmm. I like it. I hope those odds come to fruition. The Rangers again, guys, are only two games out at the time of recording this to the Boston Bruins. They're clawing at it. They really are. All they need is to continue the streak, which is not easy. Don't get me wrong. But the Rangers mm-hmm. have another hot week, and Boston goes five hundred or lower. They could very well find themselves within a game or tied in points sooner than later. So fingers crossed. I'm really, really hoping at this point. Again, I think that. They'll just miss or make it, as we all kind of predicted. Fingers crossed that they continue this push. And hopefully everyone just continues to click, right? But before we get out of here, Stephen, is there anything else that you'd like to add in this long episode here at Rangers Arena? Um, I think the Bruins are going to finish ahead of the Islanders. Okay. I, that's that's not uh, that uncommon. Who knows? Could the Rangers find themselves in a situation where if they make playoffs, maybe they somehow, some way get past the Islanders? Maybe. That is, It's a tall task. It's a maybe. tall task. But we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Way, if we make the playoffs, we'll have a first round against the Capitals. We have first round against the Caps? Because they're probably going to win the division. Is it is it foolish to me, of me to say I'm not all that worried? Ooh, against the Capitals. <laughs> to be fair, they did make one of the worst trades in recent years. I still don't understand that trade, but I guess Anthony Mantha works for them. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I like the Caps. Don't get me wrong. They're in win now. They very well could push and win the Cup this year. We'll see what happens. But I don't know. The Rangers normally have a good number against the Caps. They know how to execute on them. It's just really all that matters to me if the Rangers make playoffs is that we don't see a sweep like we did um, last year, you know, not even making playoffs. If they can show progression, that's what matters most to me. One more prediction for this week. Which game is Zach Jones going to make his NHL debut? Zach Jones is going to make his NHL debut against um, either the Thursday or the Friday game against the Flyers. Because I had a bold prediction that maybe we could see him in one of the back-to-backs this weekend. That didn't happen. But a back-to-back just kind of feels right to me because it makes sense if you just want to rest a guy. Even if you have a win. Like, you know, it, the Rangers won four straight and they still had Hayek out yesterday. Um, so like, what's that? The Friday game? Friday game? I- I'll go with that Friday game. Why not? Okay. Well, who knows? Maybe it's going to be today. Once this video comes out, we'll find out. Right. But again, I'm excited. I'm excited to see Zach Jones. I'm excited to see how the Rangers finish off the last decent amount of games, but not under 20 games. Now they're closer to 10 than they are 20. So a lot, a lot of things to be excited about for the Rangers. And again, thank you all so much, Rangers fans, for chiming into this week's segment of Rangers Review. We'll be back in right around a week or so, so stay tuned for that, guys. And as always, let's go Rangers. Let's go Rangers.